time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks and regular, if sometimes irregular, Type 40 pilot. If you're new to the show or if you've been aboard before, we're still the same irreverent, genial, non-gatekeeping show for everybody. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, listening or collecting the astonishing adventures of the Time Lord our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. All opinions are welcome, thoroughly encouraged, and we've even been known to have the odd laugh or two along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. And although we're not region-locked, we are kind of time-locked, so I won't waste a single moment more before I introduce my co-pilot this time. He's taking a couple of hours out from rearranging his box set shelf to make way for the for a new arrival. It has to be the original Hunatic. Simon Horton, it's that Christmas Eve feeling again. <laughs> Hello, Dan. Gosh, you know, can we ever talk about Blu-rays to the point where we border them? No, I don't think we can, in all honesty. You know, we, everybody knows, anybody that is a regular listener here knows we love these Blu-rays, don't we? Episode after episode, conversation after conversation, I think our love for this particular range that started nearly three years ago now. Can you believe that? Our love for this range, it knows no bounds, and in the last however many months it's been since the last box set, obviously we've been on rations, but yeah, it's it's all just stoked the boiler. We are here now, there's, there's a new box set about to drop, season eight. It's a minor miracle though, isn't it, that we've got it as soon as we have, all things considered. We were all possibly preparing ourselves for the fact that we might not see any more Blu-ray box sets really for another 12 months or so. I was fully prepared to accept that, that that we weren't going to get anything for a while. And, you you know, COVID has been a terrible thing for so many people. But but there's no doubt at all that Doctor Who fans, one of the things they will have thought about is, ooh, are we going to get any more Blu-ray box sets? And I think the expectation was, no, we're not. So so to suddenly get uh, Season 8 announced a few months ago was just, God, it, it was like Christmas Eve all over again. And it was something that I don't think we dared to hope for. And I think there was also worries that contents might be. I remember reading forums where they were saying, oh, you know, forget all the extra features. Just put the box sets out with the with the with the episodes remastered and we'll be happy. I was thinking, no, no, we won't be happy. Don't do that. Don't shortchange. Stick with the plan because it's working so well. So I'm just really pleased and relieved that they are keeping the range, although they're now working within these restrictions, they're keeping the range going in the format in which it was it was launched, as you say, two or three years ago, um, and all the better for it. It's humbling, isn't it, to think that in these times, throughout all these months, that there are a team of individuals, dedicated professionals, who are patiently putting this material together to the very best of their ability, with great pride and with that sense of maintaining the quality all to give us something to look forward to, in theory, every few months and to slide onto our shelves like that. And uh, yeah, we've been making this show for nearly three years now, believe it or not. And in all this time, we've never had an episode go down so well as the last time we spoke to our guest on this show. Tell everybody who we've got to speak to us this time, Simon. 
Well, we've got, as, as, as again, long-term listeners to the show will know, he's a good mate of mine from way back in the mid-80s. This is Richard Molesworth. He's project manager for the Blu-ray range for BBC Studios. So so he's right up there, and, and, and he's, a, he's a cracking bloke. And as I say, he and I go back many, many years. We, we've shared many laughs <laughs> together. Um, and it's just a, a pleasure, really, to, to welcome him back on board to talk about home media in all its forms in, in some way. Yes, quite a career that... Richard's had and he's got a great way of making it sort of come alive as well material I dare say this is a product that is put together you know, in darkened rooms isn't it you know probably in dead silence and yet he really makes it come alive and communicates his own fandom enthusiasm and yeah there's all the geeky nuts and bolts of the process which you know I'll be honest some of it I don't understand but I can guarantee some of you out there do you, you lap it all up so there is something for everybody I feel. In many ways Richard's kind of got a thankless task that I know one of his roles is to basically get all the test discs back and to go through every single second of every disc so he's got to watch all the extras all of the commentaries all of the text commentaries and and okay we're all watching them because we enjoy them but he's literally just got to sit there in the darkened room lock out the world and just sit and absorb these and not watch them for enjoyment but watch them for the mistakes watch them for the errors pick out the things that are wrong and suddenly you kind of think oh i'm not sure as i would actually enjoy no, that no, job no, so no. so you know i take my hat off to him but that, that i think that is an absolutely thankless task it's a miracle he can come out the other side and actually still still a enjoy doctor who and b want to talk about it <laughs> to do it over and over and over again and if things weren't bad enough then he has to come and talk to us too <laughs> you know, before richard rematerializes here's a reminder if you haven't heard that episode where we had richard on before or any of the others each and every edition of this show past present and future is a tap or two away if you know where to look and there's details about all of that coming a little later on as well as making contact with uh, the Airtime Lords over at the Fandom Podcast Network to hear about all the other fabulous genre podcasts over there. But yes, now it's time to take a comfy chair and explore the present and the past of Doctor Who on home media with a man who's seen it at the closest of quarters. Simon and I are here with returning guests back with us after a tremendously popular debut talking about the missing episodes. It's writer, director and producer Richard Molesworth. Welcome back, mate. How are things? Oh, not too bad, Dan. Hello. Hello, Simon. Hello. Um, Hello, Richard. Nice to have you back again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, where are we now? We're deep into lockdown three. Um, we're <laughs> all sat at home. I'm growing a very large beard and that's about all that life is at the moment. <laughs> got to have a hobby, haven't you? Got, got to, to kick off the streets. I mean, Beard growing. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, with the Doctor Who Blu-ray classic collection range, which I understand is what we're talking about today, a we lot are. of the work I do on that is work I can do from home. Um, you know, it's all done remotely. Oh, okay. So, thankfully, COVID hasn't impacted that too much, although there was a bit of a pause on, on everything last year, just as people were trying to get to grips with the the new reality of the situation and work out ways where we can start producing content again, you know, safely, securely and in all good practices. Well, we've been rooting for you on this show because we've been behind the Blu-rays literally since day one, haven't we, Simon? Well, we have really because, I mean, I, I remember literally years ago thinking 
they're going to start releasing Doctor Who on Blu-ray at some point. And that's why I stopped buying the DVD, simply because I knew eventually they'd come out on Blu-ray. <laughs> and so many people say, no, 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 they'll never bring it out on Blu-ray. There's no advantage to them. And I used to think, no, they definitely will. And boy, was I excited when that season 12 was announced. What was that, three years ago now, season 12? Well, yeah, I'm going to lower us in with this, with this information. Because before... In the run-up to this, Simon, you and I, we used to have little spats about this on Facebook, didn't we? Because you were very much in one camp, thinking they were coming, and I honestly didn't think they would. But this is here we are a few years later. Historically, there are several things Doctor Who fans seldom need much persuading to do. Uh, List-making is definitely one of them. I think quoting would be another, and signing up to a parallel journey that could last potentially years and take up a big chunk of house space. Well, that continues to prove annoyingly irresistible, I think. And three years ago, BBC Studios announced the release of season 12 of Doctor Who, Tom Baker's first in the lead role, that that would be released on Blu-ray on the 2nd of July 2018 in a lavish box set under that banner, Doctor Who The Collection. Initially, too, a mix of opinions, it has to be said. (laughs) Simon very much on one side and and mine on the other. And um, But for some... It had been exactly what they'd been waiting for, just as you've said, Simon, uh, since the DVD range had sort of wound down four or five years earlier, whilst others, they cried cash grab. I wasn't quite at that extreme, but I was somewhere you were sort of skeptical, in the middle. weren't you? You needed convincing, <laughs> yeah. and I did. Yeah, sceptical of the triple dip. The season 12 release um, happened, well, the Blu ray project happened because of Russell Minton. Now, Russell. Um, I worked with Russell back in 2013 on a lot of the BBC's 50th anniversary um, stuff. Russell produced the Peter Capaldi reveal program, and he also oh, yeah. produced the To Who After Party for BBC Three, which has gone uh-huh. down history. He was also working on BBC Three documentary called The Ultimate Guide, and um, all you know, we all sat together at, at, down in London. I was down there for about six months and chatting away to Russell. And I think at the time the DVDs were just coming to an end and there had been proposals for Blu-ray releases of years before then um, with the relevant people at BBC Worldwide as it was. But there wasn't any real enthusiasm. We kept on having every six, 12 months, I say we, the people that were involved in the DVD range, conversations with BBC Worldwide but they had at the same time a rapid turnover of of staff and not a lot of people that were involved in the DVD range um, were still there a couple of years later so we had to overcome a kind of an inbuilt we don't know about this it's not um, and it's really his enthusiasm for getting classic Doctor Who back out there um, that has kick-started the range again he you know, knew who to knock the door of at BBC Studios. He put the proposal together for the first um, season 12 box set, um, did all the costings, sold it to the, you know, the the people that have to tick the, the boxes and okay the decisions and actually made the case for it on a business basis. I mean, we know the case for it as a, you know, get everything yeah, yeah. from season 12 together and make a wonderful box set. But, you know, like everything, it has to be, and it has to be profitable um, and Russell very successfully um, made the case for that and that was one of the few instances on the Blu-rays where I was able to contribute something as a producer 
where I did the uh, robot rehearsal footage. I did a little package combining that with material from the episode so you could see what, because the rehearsal footage was mute, it had no sound. I married that up, edited it carefully so that we could see what Elizabeth Sladen or Tom Baker or John Levine's lines were and edit it into a whole little package. Was it a difficult decision for them to come to, do you know, as to which season to start with it? Undoubtedly, there's a reason. I'm not privy to the reason. I can only guess at the reason that it was Tom Baker and Tom Baker sells. It's quite amazing to think now that there was any reluctance whatsoever on the part of the BBC Studios to, to even think twice about Blu-rays, because when you think about it now, it was very much a no-brainer. Were they, were they shocked with the with the response to that season twelve Blu-ray? Were, were they surprised? Did it you know, did it do better than they anticipated? Oh, it did much better than they anticipated. But <laughs> the the costing um, or business model was rather dependent on uh, pre-orders. And when it was announced through Amazon, I mean, other online retailers are available. But the pre-orders, the amount of pre-orders indicates how popular something's going to be. And if you can sell out its print run before it's released on a pre-order basis, then, you know, that's an ideal situation in any business. And that's very much the model that they run the box sets on. So they are limited edition. There are only a finite number of the box sets, although they did do a repressing of season 12 just because subsequent box sets I think have had a larger print run I'm not privy to the numbers so I can't tell you exactly how many copies of each box set but they are you know incredibly successful most of them by the time they actually do hit the shelves have more or less sold out so I was so relieved when they re-released that set here. I really, really was. I'd got that big gap because I was that reluctant to jump on board. Yeah, I missed that initial release. I, there's a whole story behind that. But yeah, I was able to I was able to go back and get this re-release. And uh, yeah, happy days, full collection. I'm there for the duration. I'm there. I'm there till the till the bitter end. But what you've just been talking about, it seems to me, what they call what they would call a, a proof of concept. And although I, I understand what Simon says completely looking at blu-ray in the uk it's been a lot slower to catch on in this territory than for example in north america and others and i think there was a little bit of um that people just didn't know what it was they didn't know they didn't know what hd was they didn't know what blu-ray was there was at that time i think there was still a competitor to blu-ray on the market too so but once all that kind of fell by the wayside maybe the the road was was a lot clearer then too well, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, Blu-ray, it's a difficult thing at the moment because my understanding is it's its more or less a dying brand in America. In, in the UK, it still has okay. a significant presence. Um, but what the retail future will be post-COVID, who knows? The thing is, with the Doctor Who collection Blu-rays, they are, they are very much niche. They have their market and they very much pay for themselves, prove themselves, work as a concept. But it's a very, very tiny, tiny part of what BBC Studios do and, and the amount of product they put out. And the plan for the, the Blu-ray range is to, you know, to do everything, to do all of the, the 26. And that's going to take another optimistic estimate, five, six years, uh, maybe three releases a year. And there is, there is a little question mark whether blu-ray will be around in that time in the in the in the way it is now 
So, you know, nothing's set in stone and nothing's guaranteed, but hopefully the range is here for the duration. Blu-ray has got a, 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 has had a bit of a change in how it's perceived in the marketplace. It's not like DVD used to be when you could or HMV, gosh, how old are we, when we had shops like that and have rows and rows and rows of DVDs, you know, 999. Oh, Mecca. I mean, there are hardly any places that do that now and, you know, most of the, most of the, the sales seem to be rooted through uh, Amazon or other online platforms. It has evolved in, in the years since season, season 12 came out will have to evolve to, to cope post-COVID. So, you know, uh, the aim is to get all 26 seasons out on Blu-ray. And, you know, I fervently hope we can do that. But if, well, if Blu-ray dies... <laughs> well, if, if, if they don't get all 26 series out, I will personally track down and throttle whoever it is that, that puts a block on it. Because we are not <laughs> these Blu-rays so much. Well, I mean, one thing that I'm really interested in that you touched on there uh, is is this is the idea of them being limited edition releases, and this is something I've never really, as a com- from a commercial point of view, understood. Because my thinking is, why limit them when they do sell out, and then people are clamouring for them and paying 400 quid on eBay for them? Is there not a? I, I can't quite work out why BBC Studios wouldn't just basically say, "Yep, it's out there, and go and fill your boots." Well, I, I mean, I, I have no insider knowledge of the business model um so i can't categorically answer that question for you simon i can only hazard a guess and having worked in in a logistics role in a you know previous incarnation you want to get stuff out of the warehouse as fast as you get it in and it's all well and good having a range that you can sell in five or six years time but you'd rather get it all sold in four or five months Uh, and it's always a case of diminishing returns you get an initial this isn't the figure, I'm just guessing, but for point of argument, say they order 20,000 of each each box set. What is the amount you have to order to get a, a, a reprint, if you like, um, at a viable cost price? Is it another 5,000? Is it another 10,000? So you sell out your initial 20,000. Yeah. That sells out before the release date. You order whatever the next batch is, let's say it's 10,000. That could sit there for another 12 months before that sells out. And it's that investment on stock, which perhaps they're they're looking to avoid, um, you know, because that is a lot of money tied up. That's a lot of warehousing, and you know, if you if your initial order from Amazon of that twenty thousand, if they're taking say twelve or fifteen thousand, then if their next order is only for four hundred, you have to box up four hundred, send them off to Amazon. Then the next orders for one hundred and fifty. Then they want another two hundred. It's that sort of little bits and bobs market. I suspect they're not that interested in pursuing. I've never thought of it from that point of view, and that makes just total one hundred percent commercial sense. Never thought of it like that. Over at Warner Brothers, who I understand they still distribute the titles in America, a lot of the DVDs went out of print years and years ago over there, to the point where they were changing hands for silly money. And I think it was around eighteen months, a year ago the label started a uh, sort of print-to-order, a manufacture-to-order system for some of the out-of-print DVDs where people could potentially fill the gaps in their collection. So maybe that is the way that everything physical media will end up in 5, 10, 
Yeah, I don't think that's ever been tried in the UK, but I've seen, uh, certainly for, I think for some of the American Doctor Who DVDs, is that what you're referring to, Dan? Yeah. Is that Warner Brothers? Okay. Yes, sorry. Yes. I've seen stuff online where people have ordered those and they've, they're DVD RWs, they're they're not fully authored DVDs, and I think there is an issue with the longevity of the product. Yeah, that's a very different kettle of fish to put them out (laughs) on DVD RWs. That's a very different situation and item that you're yeah. purchasing yeah because there's something that is actually print to order they, they are, and i have actually got some not not um doctor i've got some perfect strangers dvds that came from america on warner brothers label and they are as richard says quite rightly they're on rewritable discs and they are literally print to order uh, which is a really odd concept but, I, but, I suspect that the logistics exercise you need to back up that sort of service um it, it's very cost um intensive so the profit in that can be very small, I would have thought. Be minimal, um, yeah. And as much as the whole range is a product of love for all of the people that work on it, at the end of the day, it's got to be a business model for BBC Studios. Absolutely. That, that, that's always got to be the bottom line. Well, at least at least it is doing really, really well, because as you say, every time one is released, it sells out straight away. So it's great to see for, from our point of view as just fans that they are selling well and they're doing well. It's nice to see that going back in time just a year and the the range had to take effectively a sort of a kind of unintended mid-season break <laughs> the realization dawned on us didn't it simon you know once we'd got used to the fact the entire world had changed and we got used to the fact that we had to lock ourselves down and where are we going to get our groceries and our toilet paper where's all the toilet paper gone once we'd got all those things nailed things nailed down we were turning to one another and thinking Oh, God, what about the Blu-ray collection? I'll tell you Let's what, get our priorities right. I'll tell you what, Dan, the Blu-ray collection came above my concern for Lou. <laughs> my first thought was, oh, no, no more Doctor Who Blu-rays for a while. I didn't even think about Lou oh, Rolls. <laughs> what, what, I mean, what sort of problems did that bring in, Richard, at that? What, what ha- can you remember what sort of point you were at and what happened? Was, it, was there just an email that went out that just said, stop everything? No, quite the contrary to that. The, the situation was... If I remember rightly, the timeline, we were just putting the final touches to season 14. When did that come out? March. So we're talking like January, February, when you could see COVID. It was starting to become a a, a problem and you could see the inevitable things that were going to happen. I think it slowed down a little bit the ability to get season 14 out the door in terms of um, getting test discs. Um, The way the the production of, of the Blu-ray projects works is this will answer your question eventually, Simon, but that's all right. You go for it. <laughs> Russell is in charge of the range. He commissions all of what we call the BAM, the value added material. These are all the, the behind the sofas and documentaries, any, any new item that that's on the box set, Russell commissions that he, he comes up with the, everything that's going on um, a season box set. He does that in conjunction with, Pete McTie, who has got a big master plan spreadsheet tucked away somewhere where he's decided where every bit of old DVD VAM is going to go on the new box set range because not all of the documentaries stay on the same disc as they came out on DVD. Yes, we so noticed this. Russell's got this the, the master plan. He, he puts it all together. Um, the people go out individually chris chapman paul venesis uh, steve broster pete himself russell um they film all their items now all of the season 14 stuff 
had been filmed before lockdown. Um, so that was all in the can. They all were getting their their items edited. They all go to a central um, uh, production facility for quality control. I get then sent the reports. If there are any problems, we go back and forth until everything's resolved. I get files that I can view on my PC at home just to check the contents yeah. and, and everything. But ultimately, I have to wait until I get a test disc for each and every disc on the box set. And I sit down and review them. And we were just getting to test disc stage for season 14 um, when I think the lockdown started looking ominous and it was about to hit. So it didn't really um, affect season 14, but we hadn't really got started on season eight at that point. There were a couple of things that I think had been filmed, but the vast majority of the, the VAM items um, like behind the sofa, um, like Katie's in conversation, uh, like Devil's Weekend hadn't been filmed. So they were all put on ice until a lockdown was resolved and then protocols and ways of working safely in studios or on location could be established and everybody that was involved was happy to, to do so. Tell us what, what your role is on the Blu rays, Richard. I'm the project manager, so I, I, I work for Fiona Ball, who's head of the whole department. And um, the Doctor Who Blu ray box sets are above and beyond anything else in terms of complexity that BBC Studios do. And do you mean as regards the, the technology that's on the disc? No, 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 no. In no. the branching in and in the. The amount of content there is from different sources you know we try Complexity and complexity of pulling it together basically yeah. some of the the discs have over a, a hundred maybe 150 different items that need to be pulled together um, and made sure that they're all correct in whatever way correct applies to them um, and that's really my role so Russell comes up with his master plan for um, a season and it's my job really to make sure that we get the restored episodes without any hitches. I think before I was involved, there were a few episode masters that had problems. There were effects missing or credits that were misspelt. Um, things that just slipped through without, there's no real one person in charge of quality control. That's what I do. I sit down and watch everything and again and again and again, just to make sure everything's okay and there are no no problems and if there's anything editorially that i think needs to be looked i'll you know flag it with russell and he'll have a look at it and you know sometimes bits of documentaries will need cutting but that's more russell's role than mine if this was the tardis console room and you were all components in it you would very much be the fault locator then <laughs> don't know how to answer that i was going to say i'll be the time rotor the one that keeps everything going <laughs> well it, it does all sound i mean obviously back when season 12 was being put together the whole proof of proof of concept thing like everything else the more we do something the, the more you put something into practice the slicker it gets and the more things evolve have you found that the process has evolved and it has got easier or has it been a bit of a monster and you and as it's taken off the more that you thought, oh, we can do this. Oh, but maybe we could do that. D does the production evolve at all? Um, I think the ambition evolves. But that's that's really down to Russell. But he takes advice yeah. from 
you know everybody that works on the range we all chip in with ideas and what used to happen um we used to have like a, a get together every few months and say right seasons x y and z are probably going to be the next ones have you got any ideas for content what what are, what's missing what you know what didn't come out on the dvd range that we need to plug a few gaps what making ofs need to be doing do we need any new commentaries um any new ideas for new material um but obviously since march those meetings take place on something called zoom you might have heard of it and um yeah. we, we generally have chit chats that way dates have shifted a lot on these sets as to when they're scheduled and when they eventually get released. Originally, you now you know what Doctor Who fans are like. Originally, <laughs> Doctor Who fans were a little bit narked about this, but now I think it's something of a running gag and there's a little bit of affection there and it's enough that we know what's on the way. And But there, there is a sort of... I mean, we're talking about here... Uh, with COVID not in the equation, but there was always a a rough plan mm. going forward. But is it, is it based on sort of uh, doctor by doctor? So you know, like we'll do a th- uh, we'll do a, a Pertwee, then we'll do a Colin, then we'll do a Sylve, then or is it more thematic than that and and revolving around such things as as anniversaries or availability of people? What, if, is there if there is a system, I'm oblivious to it. It, it seems like <laughs> dippy dippy to me. There is there is a logic in some some areas, but I I can't really go into too many specifics. The release date question, though, I think people don't understand. It's the way the market has changed and the way the product has changed. Back when we were making the DVDs, we'd have everything delivered, maybe a year or more before the release date. So really? all of the documentaries uh, would have been edited, quality checked, compiled onto the. DVD master tape, all of the audio commentaries would be done, all the production subtitles would be written, everything would be in, done, checked, ready to go, up to a year, maybe longer, before the release date. We don't have the luxury of of that sort of schedule at the moment. Um, I think it's something that Russell would like to build in, maybe a bit of, that. we are literally hand-to-mouth, and that's the nature of the market now. And what people I don't think understand is, when a, a, a box set is as announced, there is also a tentative release date. But when season eight was announced, there was quite a lot of that content that still hadn't been delivered, let alone checked, signed off, agreed. I only signed off the last bit of season eight earlier this week. We go on to the test disc review from next week. And as long as there are no problems with the test discs, then whatever the release date is should hold but you can never guarantee that there won't be problems and with the best will in the world release dates do slip it's not something we want to do and it's not something we like doing my personal preference would be not to announce a release date until every box has been ticked off we as dan said we know it's coming out we, we know it's coming out imminently so we don't actually need a release date and i think dan's also right in that yeah now now we all just treat that treat the the, the release date with a, a sort of lovable affection that we know it's going to change but it doesn't matter because we know it's coming out i mean what was there anything on the season eight box set that just couldn't make it because of covid did it kibosh anything specifically or did you manage to get everything ultimately done on season eight that you planned Paul Venezes was looking to do something about the Cloven Hoof pub sign. 
which has a very interesting history. Which has a very interesting history, but that just couldn't be done under the under the lockdown regulations. It would involve a lot of complexities in filming and getting people together and trying to find the pub sign wherever that is. Paul is looking to rejig it into something else, not totally connected to the pub sign now, but the, the concept that might see light of day in a slightly revised format. I was meant to be doing something on the Doctor Who exhibitions for the season 14 release, which I had to postpone because the person I was talking to about providing some CGI had health problems at the unexpectedly and a lot of the work had to be abandoned and I just didn't have time to get somebody else on board to get that up and running but hopefully I will be able to do something on the Blackpool and Longley exhibitions um, in the future but nothing really has been lost. Well we, I think we all pray that you manage to get the, a, a feature done on the on the Longley Blackpool exhibitions because I mean anybody, any long time listeners of the show will realise that, that we, everybody here just loves those old exhibitions but presumably season eight was always planned to be the next the next um, season. Um, no, <laughs> oh, oh, really? So, so after season 14, was there a plan for a different season? Then obviously you're not going to be able to tell us what that was. But Plans are always in flux. Plans are always changing. Uh, there have been so many plans that have been abandoned. Um, I, I completely lose track. I can just about get my head around what the plan is at the moment for season eight and what the plan is for the next season. But beyond that, I don't know what the plan is. I've heard various iterations of plans, but they, they all change. They, so uh, people who say, oh, I know what's coming next. No, they don't, because very often we don't. I love that, though. I, well, I well, like well, and, you know, that's the beauty thing. As, as Tom Baker says, I think it's in Revenge of the Cybermen, and that's the, that's the thing with plans. They come together in bits and pieces. And so, yeah, perfect. If, if you don't. So do you actually know what the next season should be? And is that? And I know you can't tell us it, but it's, is that sort of cast in stone now, or is that still potentially in a state of flux after season eight? <laughs> there is a release that is being intensively worked on. Now, if it doesn't follow season eight, something else will have to come in in its place and we'll have to start intensively working on that instead so never say never but as far as far as i know the release after season eight is a set in stone as i've ever known a release to be a set in stone we were thrilled weren't we but late last year around november time when uh, season eight was confirmed for intended release in the first quarter of, of 2021, originally for the 23rd of February, I think, but now obviously it's TBC, which we completely, totally understand. I have to tell you though, Richard, this guy sat here on my on my left here, he is annoyingly good. We're talking about a six out of seven hit rates so far at guessing which season is coming next. It's infuriating. <laughs> All right. and, and was he right on that one? I think was. I was, wasn't I? I think I was right on season eight. And, and I, think, <laughs> I think my reasoning behind season eight was, was I was kind of forward thinking and thinking, okay, well, it's the 50th anniversary season eight. So we can't, <laughs> we're kind I of all you're applying logic where logic doesn't exist. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Doctor Who fan. I can't help it. I've got OCD. What do you expect? <laughs> I mean, what, what I think is interesting with season eight and, and, and one of the reasons why I'm particularly interested in, in, in seeing this once it comes out is, is I know that um, Peter Crocker has said that season eight um is is the most well actually in, in doctor who magazine in the preview peter crocker says that season eight is the most challenging of all 26 series um and mark ayres has also said that season eight is one of the most problematic audio wise 
So from that point of view, you, you kind of think, well, why would you pick season eight then? If it's the most, why is it the most challenging of all 26 series? With black and white episodes, um, you're working from 16 millimeter film. So series one to six, 16 millimeter film all the way. We've we've had a lot of experience doing that on the DVD. So we, when you move into colour, you've got colour. And that's an added complication. And with especially the first two John Pertwee seasons, a lot of the original colour no longer exists, the colour videotapes that the stories were recorded on. Now, season eight, we've got three out of the 25 episodes still on their original 625 line two inches we haven't got the original quads anymore they've been they've been junked by the bbc they're now at the national videotape archive the bbc backed up um, a lot of their all of their two inch stuff before it was junked onto other videotape i can't remember off the top of my head whether it's d3 or digibeta or a combination of both i've got a feeling it's on d3 and digibeta so we've got that, that material to work from from those three episodes and they look fine and also the clause of Axos studio recording is on that uh, on that format. Um, everything else we've got from a variety of sources. Um, the starting point from for all the other episodes are the 16 millimeter black and white film prints that BBC Enterprises made for selling to Australia and New Zealand and Hong Kong and Singapore and Gibraltar in the late uh, in the mid to late 70s and that's where the picture detail from where Peter Crocker has been working on um, using the vidfire technique to restore the video uh, look to the, the sequences filmed in the studio but you've got your problems there with stuff that was filmed on film and how it's retained in mil film print and even I get confused when I try and think about it. It's all to do with field dominance and how you get a mishmash of frames if the field dominance isn't correctly set, but nobody knew how to set them. There was no reason to set them because as long as it looked fine on two inch, no, it wasn't a problem. It's only when you then film record the film sequences. Um, there are some episodes that we've got on two inch videotape, but have been converted to the American NTSC system. And that's where a lot of the colour information is coming from for this release. So we take the, the, the colour from the best NTSC source, professional two-inch tape, and overlay it onto the 16mm black and white film. That looks surprisingly very, very good. Um, it doesn't look as good as the two-inch, but it does look in most places a lot better than just watching the, the, the two-inch NTSC conversions back to 625 but for the episodes where we can do that we've also put those on the box set as well only in standard definition so clause of access two and three and all of Conley in space we've put the dvd restorations on in standard definition where they came from reverse standards converted ntsc two inch tape but proper versions of the episodes on the box set we're starting with 16 mil black and white tele-recordings with the colour signal overlaid or Terror of the Autons and Mind of Evil and Demons there was no original colour available from two inch tape we had to rely on domestic sources for the Demons and Terror of the Autons and Mind of Evil the colour recovery 
on episodes two to six that was done for the DVD release and the complete recolorization from scratch for episode one. So there's a whole hodgepodge of different picture elements that have had to be brought together and, and successfully remastered for the Blu-ray release. And on top of that, Mark Ayres, who does all of our audio restorations, has been trying to get the best results from episodes where we only have the 16 millimeter black and white films audio those films there's an audio track that's actually printed onto the film strip um, and those are read by an optical reader and that's that's the only version of the audio for the episodes that's there something off a two inch tape at least you've got a good quality audio soundtrack there so for things like mind of evil and terror of the autons and the demons the film prints is the source of the audio now mark's tried um with a great deal of success i have to say um, audio techniques combining the best elements of the sound from the film recordings with good quality off-air audio recordings made at the time of transmission um, from you know, various fans and has come up with audio which is significantly better I think than than how it appeared on DVD so much so that for two of the stories Terror of the Autons and The Demons um, he's been able to do a 5.1 audio mix on those two stories which again enhances the, um, the audio experience of those I, I was i was really intrigued with colony in space to see that there are two different versions of colony in space on there and i'm just i, I think you've touched on it there but i'm being the geek that i am i'm still just intrigued by what 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 was it that you were able to do with colony in space specifically that presumably you weren't able to do with any of the stories as to why you've got two different versions of colony in space on there the simple answer to that is just for completeness sake. Connolly in Space, when it came out on DVD, it was exclusively the reverse standards converted NTSC two-inch tapes. Um, and they look a little bit washed out. It's not that I don't think they're the best conversions. I don't know whether we actually got the original transmission tapes back from America or copies of them. So I think they possibly might have dropped a generation down. They always looked a bit washed out to me. So the versions that have been done for the... For do look significantly better. Um, if you have compared the original DVD release of Clause of Axos to the revisitation or whatever it's called, the special edition Clause of Axos that came out five or six years later, you can see in episodes two and three the difference to the two approaches. Um, I think Inferno also had a special edition DVD which used the, the black and white films, the comparison between the two. I think shows that the film restoration is the, the is the right way to go, but th there is a trade-off. There is definitely a trade-off. There are some things that are slightly better if you use the tapes. There is a lot more things that are better if you use the films, but no, no one is definitive. Is it a case that basically with Colony in Space, what's being done on the restore on the on the HD restored episodes in the box set could that have been done back when colony in space was originally released on dvd or is that you've got different technology now that allows you to do it because you've got there's no different source material now is there or am i am i wrong in that have you got different source material no there's no different source material i think uh, i think the technology has improved i'm just trying to think when did colony in space come out i've got a while ago i think 2011 in my head but i could be wrong i don't know that it was something that we thought would give good enough results back then. It's certainly, you, you think about it in theory. I know I certainly did when it was first explained to me. 
using the colour from the two inch over a 16 millimetre black and white film would look better than the video from a two inch. I thought, no, there's no way that can that can possibly be right. And I was wrong. Um, it, it does give a more superior result um, in most respects. So I don't think it was something that, that would have been attempted in 2011, but it's certainly, I think, the way that a lot of the John Pertwee stuff from season seven, when we get round to that, and what have we got in season nine, like that, Sea Devils, Curse of Peladon, uh, Mutants. So there's, yeah, there's still, you know, going to be a lot more that benefits from that approach in the future. And presumably, Terror of the Autons, you did the same thing with in the in the in the upcoming box set. Terror of the Autons has also been re remastered from from scratch, hasn't it? Again, I'm I'm not completely across Peter's workflow um, and I don't really want to speak for Peter what Peter does is is not included in the royal we when I say we do these things Peter's you know it's very much Peter's department and it's something Peter I know puts a hell of a lot of, of time and um, effort into to get the results that he does so yeah I, I, I think that certainly I haven't seen the test disc yet I've had a look at all of the files of all of the episodes and even from the low-res versions I used to do my initial reviews, Terry the Autons especially looks particularly a lot nicer than it did on DVD. Um, I think this box set will be a bit of a revelation. I think we're, we're all very excited about it because up until now, season eight hasn't been, it hasn't looked brilliant um, in the past. We're aware of, of the sort of restrictions with that. The one story that I was surprised about was that was the demons. That doesn't appear to have been restored from scratch. Now, I think there's only ever been one restoration of the demons right back in, was it 92? No, so no I think every time the demons has, has come out, there's always been a, a little bit of tinkering. Back in 92, it was restored for repeat on BBC Two and Tomorrow's yes. World did a little feature. Back then there was no vid fire, so it was just the raw film prints looking very filmy with the colour on top. And I don't even think there was any kind of spatial geometric connection to the pictures. They, they were still a little bit distorted. Um, it was definitely, I think, tweaked when it came out on VHS and then it was restored again from scratch when it came out on DVD. And I think that was the first one that had the vid fire effect added the DVD restoration. And it, I mean, the, the DVD restoration has been the starting point for Peter, I think, for the Blu-ray. They've all been restored anew, essentially, for, for Blu-ray, but the starting points are usually the DVD restorations. Obviously, we've been looking down the, the list of, of VAM that comes with this, the behind the sofa, the in-conversation we've already mentioned, uh, a Devil's uh, Devil's Weekend, that feature there, the direct route with the, the directors sort of reunited, and Terence and Me, which I think Simon and I will probably do a whole episode reviewing reviewing that. That's the latest documentary from our friend Chris Chapman, who came on the show last year to talk about the, the showman piece. But talking about the demons, I have to notice that I'm I'm really interested by the fact this uh, this 90 minute omnibus edition of the demons is on there. Is that purely for completion's sake? Of course, or, we're fans. We like everything. Yeah. I didn't even know about these omnibus editions or the. <laughs> they're before they're before my time, gentlemen. No, but I didn't even know. I thought I'd heard every conversation, but yeah, hearing fans who are just a little older than me who do remember them go say, "Oh, I remember when that was on." Just renewed enthusiasm, specifically to see that cut-down version. 
10, 15 years ago, we were all about the limited editions, all about the special editions. Give us as much new stuff as we can. Now we want you to take it away and give us these truncated versions. Put simply, we want as many reasons for people to buy the box sets as possible. If only 10 more people buy season 8 yeah. because they like the bus repeat compilation, then it's worth putting on there. What work has been done on that? Is that given less attention because it's going to attract fewer eyes? No. The workflow on that... Right, the starting point was an off-air audio, the repeat compilation, because the BBC didn't keep the repeat compilation. Okay. It would be lovely if they did, because we'd have nearly 90 minutes of uh, PAL 2-inch Demons material instead of the 25 minutes that we have of Part 4. Ah. The earliest repeat compilation the BBC kept was Planet of the Spiders. So all of the other Pertwee repeat compilations that they ever showed exist. But I think the plan at the moment is when they when those seasons come up, um, which ones we've got to do, Day of the Daleks, Sea Devils. I think, that, I think those are the only other two, actually, thinking about it. Um, will have to be recreated from scratch. But how do you recreate from scratch something that doesn't exist? You have to rely on an off-air audio. So that was the starting point. So we know which scenes were, were retained, which bits were edited. And the editing process back then in the 70s, when you're dealing with two-inch two inch tape, um, it's very much of you know clunky stop-start edit. There's not too much finessing going on there. You're just dropping in scenes or cutting out scenes in a very linear way. None of the fancy non-linear editing that you can do yeah. on, on PCs nowadays. So it was really just compiling the, the 90 minutes that were used going using the audio as a guide um, and then just dropping in the pictures and the new audio um, to match basically and recreating it from scratch which is um, something Pete McTie uh, laboriously spent a lot of his time doing uh, late last year you know, it sounds like absolute insanity, but yet I, I really, really admire it. And <laughs> the thought that somebody would do that, based on that, and from and the, with, like you say, rebuilding something that doesn't exist, I'm even more impressed. I mean, I'm impressed with the things that I've seen Pete do anyway with these trailers. But I think I'm even, I, I, that's up there. That's probably equal. Well, the, well, the thing is, I mean, that that's a really, really geeky thing to do, and we're all geeks, and we're all going to absolutely geek out over it. What I find amazing, and and Dan and I, you, you and I have talked about this in the past, about we are so grateful to the fact that we just happen to love a show that gets so much love lavished on it when it comes to putting these releases together. And the, these Dog 2 Blu-ray releases are undoubtedly the finest releases for any television program, I would imagine, in history, certainly of a certain vintage. What, what is it you think, Richard? Why, why, why does Doctor Who manage to command such loving attention, whereas something like, I don't know, let's say, Blake Seven, or anything that isn't even science fiction, why is it that <laughs> Doctor Who gets the, the love? I thought you were going to put another dig in at Buck Rogers then. <laughs> well, like, well, like, hey, I can always put in another dig at Buck Rogers. <laughs> but why is you that? Never forget, you never forget. Do you know what, Simon? I've often thought this. Is Doctor Who unique, you know, amongst amongst fandoms? You know, the people who care about Doctor Who care about it more than people who care about Blake Seven care about Blake Seven or the Avengers or the Sweeney or Buck Rogers or whatever. And... I honestly don't think it is that unique, I, but I just think there is something about 
the ubiquitousness of Doctor Who, because it has such a long history, because it's 57 years old now, if I've done my sums right. I used to think maybe Doctor Who fandom was just a thing that all Doctor Who part of. I, I, I really do think now it's a bit more fragmented. I don't think it's even classic series Doctor Who versus new series Doctor Who. I think it's maybe 60s versus 70s versus 80s versus noughties versus whatever you call the last decade. And I think it's a bit more compartmentalised than that. So a 70s classic box set has more of an appeal to that little subset. But I think, you know, the 60s people like it, the 80s people like it, and hopefully the noughties and the teenies will like it as well. I don't know, really. If I could explain what Doctor Who's appeal was, I would replicate it, create my own show, and do the same thing with it. And people have been trying to do that for 57 years and have failed, so I don't know. I've heard it said that the James Bond movies, in many respects, in post-war film history, represent the history of, of cinema, of popular cinema, up to a point. And it could be argued that, by the same measure, that the history of Doctor Who is the history of, of British television. Uh, for a single television series, the amount of documentation uh, and research done into it is ridiculous. The The amount of trivia and detail that we can get now on the series, down to, you know, we can look at each day of production and note the hour, what was in the studio and <laughs> what was on location and various people were doing in their lunch breaks it, it really is mind-boggling i certainly can't think of another television show that you would get a, a, a blu-ray for where you can see sort of a 90 minute unedited block of, of studio footage i'm always i'm always pestering richard saying what's on the next box set how many how many hours of, <laughs> of, of unedited footage are on the next box set you know i love this he's stuff terrible it's he's joy, terrible it's a joy to watch that kind of that that that, that minutiae of detail of see this stuff unfolding in front of your eyes talking about lunch breaks it's time we took a quick break now because the type 40 a doctor who podcast is a space book production for the fabulous fandom podcast network and we'd be letting you down if we didn't fill your ears with talk of the other shows on the network so here's a quick word about all of that and we'll be back with more from richard in a couple of minutes Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to the Fandom Podcast Network and all of the other awesome shows we have to offer. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, our weekly pop culture news podcast. Blood of Kings, our Highlander podcast. Couch Potato Theater, our podcast celebrating our favorite movies. Time Warp. The Fandom Flashback Podcast, discussing a year in movies and our favorite pop culture topics. Enzo, the NFL Podcast. Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock Podcast. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville Podcast. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s Rock Metal Podcast. Type 40, our Doctor Who Podcast. Lethal Mullet, a 1980s and 90s action film podcast. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars Podcast. And our newest show, Making Treks, a new Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. You can enjoy all of these great Fandom Podcast Network shows on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. 
You can also find us on Facebook under Fandom Podcast Network. You can also email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there. Now let us clothe you too. Head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of the team colours for all those shows on t-shirts, hats, mugs, and a TARDIS full of other items. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the network continuing to fill your ears with 100% fabulous fandom goodness. We're back Spinning shiny blue discs here with Richard Molesworth today, but Doctor Who on home media has this really long history, stretching back, you could say, to the mid-early 80s even, on VHS. And the people who've worked on the various lines, on the various ranges, have been... It's been a multitude, a positive army of people, multi-skilled people multidisciplined people and people from the TV and film industry who've been off and done other things and come back to it and whatever else. But uh, Richard, we're talking about Blu-rays today, so that's sort of bang up to date, sort of. We won't mention 4K because that still blows my mind. It's bang up to date. But all of this, it has, it, uh, it has a legacy, doesn't it? Working its way back over the last, say, 15, 20 years with you since the, since the DVD range itself kicked in, its predecessor. So what was your role there, and how did you find that sort of segued into what you do? Well, now? let's go back into real ancient history because it all started with the VHS range. And I think the first thing I had any involvement in was the War Machines on VHS around about 96 or 97, where the sensor cuts were found uh, in Australia by Damien Shanahan and were able to be re-edited into the edited Nigerian uh, film prints of the War Machines that we got back in 1984 to try and complete that story. Just after then, Paul Venesis, who at the time was working at good old BBC Pebble Mill, rest in peace. I really miss it. Was able to convince BBC Enterprises, I think it was back then, could have been worldwide, they changed the name so regularly, that they'd really got their mythology wrong for mastering the VHSs. Uh, they were just picking at any old um, tape off the shelf or whatever was easiest to get to, and they weren't really going back to best source. And he offered to oversee the mastering of the VHS releases at Pebble Mill. Um, you know, he was just learning how to use one inch and two inch machines. Um, Steve Roberts was able to do telecines of the, the film prints. So slowly but surely, they took over producing the home video masters for the VHSs. Um, and in about 1998, 99 or something like that, um, I started writing all the sleeve notes for the VHS releases. Uh, so these would have been on the inter- the sleeve that would that goes inside that VHS case. Those things they seem so large, don't they? But uh, when you slide them in, the the later sort of videotapes, clear cases, so you could see was that what was on the inside sleeve, which of course was uh, feasible space to put information. Yeah, or even the, I I used to write all the story blurb as well. So I remember for for time flights, it was like. I'm going to keep it a surprise that this story has the master in, so all the blurb will not refer to the master. But my note was, I hope this isn't going to be ruined by whichever person does the 
artwork <laughs> master yes. on the on the video sleeve so um yeah so i toward you know i did all of the the video hs is right to the end of that range and that sort of overlapped with dvd coming in with uh, the first official one was with robots of death there was a five doctors which is a sort of tryout that wasn't part of the official range um but the robots of death came out in 99 or 2000 something like that it was it was very soon after wasn't it very soon after the five yeah 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 i mean that was just basically a very bare bones dvd with an audio commentary and a few studio floor plans it's still ridiculously exciting to see i can still remember the excitement of that coming out on dvd because Mm -hmm. you really felt that that finally you were going to get to see doctor who um in in good quality and it it was good quality who knew that blu-ray was around the corner but those dvds were great to begin with loved them Mm-hmm. And Paul Venetis was in charge, really, of the audio commentaries at the time. Needed the first, I don't know, half dozen, dozen uh, himself, which um, I was able to sit in on most of those. One of the first ones was Spearhead from Space. I remember recording that at TV Centre. We got episodes one, two and three done with Nicholas Courtney and Caroline John. And there was a complete power cut at TV Centre. The room we were in all, all went dark. The lights went out. Uh, Steve Roberts had to go around with the torch just to figure out what was going on the, 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 I think a local substation had blown up in London and the whole of TV centre was just blacked out for the evening and it got backup generators but you know the the power, the power had to go to keeping TV on air and we had to abandon the commentary and it had to be reorganised a few weeks later and then within, within a couple of years I I was um, producing audio commentaries on my own one of the first ones I did with Ralph Rafe Montague was Carnival of Monsters and then I did big batch when, at the time, Matthew Waterhouse was living in America. Um, and whenever he came over to the UK, he used to let us know in advance. So, you know, if you want anything doing while I'm over. So we had a big batch of audio commentaries that I did with, with Matthew. Just like in the morning, it was full circle. In the afternoon, it was kinder. And then the next day, we did Four to Doomsday in the morning and Black Orchid in the afternoon, which was great fun. But I think by Black Orchid, everyone got a bit demob happy. <laughs> Peter Davison and Matthew Waterhouse and Janet Fielding, they just absolutely ripped the story to shreds, Black Orchid, which completely took me by surprise because I'm actually quite fond of it. But they spent the whole of the first episode just tearing it apart. And poor old Sarah Sutton, who quite liked Black Orchid because she had, was sat there going, oh, I like this one which was great, but then I realised if, if that had been the first episode of a four-parter, we'd have three episodes to turn this one around. I really had to go in and say, look, we're doing the, the final episode now. Let's have a bit more positivity on this one. And um, <laughs> I think a lot of people have commented online how, how much they dislike the audio commentary for Black Orchid Part 1 especially, and I have to hold my hands up. I should have maybe been a bit better at making sure they we're a bit more positive because we like to hear what people have to say we like to hear their memories but we don't want them to be too negative and people sometimes are negative by all means criticize but can we try and temper it with respect so yeah i mean great fun producing audio commentaries and bringing forward onto the blu-rays for season 18 state of decay with lala ward and uh, rachel but she was she was wonderful and that was um, you know, one of the new audio commentaries that we do from time to time on the Blu-ray sets. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a, a long and potted and varied history. For somebody who's in this line of work, though, and for somebody who obviously obviously stretching back, you're, you're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer, you've been in this industry a long time. This was at the cutting edge of an explosion and a very specific evolution 
of home media. So whilst, you know, what she just said about the audio commentaries, the Doctor Who line in particular, come to think of it, you didn't invent director's commentaries, but it was still something that people were sort of feeling their way through to know how people were going to behave, how they were going to respond, how it was going to be received. So I can see why. I can see that you had to... It was going to be trial and error and getting to the place that you're at now. Yeah, you just can't predict sometimes what what some people are going to be like. But when you when you work with them a few times, I mean, I remember the first time I worked with Tom Baker, and you cannot fail to be intimidated by Tom Baker when when you walk in and, and see him for the first time. And I honestly didn't know how he was going to be, whether whether he was going to be cooperative or grumpy or moody or an absolute joy. And I meet him in the reception of the studio. You know, he looks me up and down and says, ah, Richard, I think I'm working for you today. And I just smiled and went, no, I think it's the other way around, Tom. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> right, I knew we were going to get on after that. And what was that? What, was, what was that for, Richard? Do you remember? Yes, I think, again, it was a day we were doing two audio commentaries. In the morning, we did The Deadly Assassin. And then in the afternoon, we did Planet of Evil. That was a very, very full day, really. Trying to get eight done in, in one day, it was a, perhaps a bit too much for Tom. He did flag a little bit towards the end of Planet of Evil. but That's a lot. That's a schedule, that is. A schedule and a half. To, to keep in tune and to try to keep your memory, keep sort of bringing things to the surface mm-hmm. and speak from a professional point of view. Because, you know, let's be honest, being realistic about it, even though director's commentaries are candid, for the most part they're still representing themselves professionally as well. This is work that goes through people's agents or whatever else. It's still, they're, they're doing it under, under, their, under their trade name, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, whoever. So they've still got to be engaged in what they're, in what they're doing, haven't they? And on, and switched on. Yeah, and I try and uh, help as much as I can. I always sit down with them beforehand and say, you know, in this episode, your character does this. And in nearly each and every mm. case, we've sent them a DVD which... Um, most people sit and watch a day or two before, so they are familiar with what they're watching. There's a few people that famously <laughs> don't do that. I don't think Tom ever sits down and watches a DVD before he does an audio commentary on it. But, yeah, I mean, m- most people are happy to listen to what um, you want them to do and what, what's expected of them. And I, I can't think of any examples when anybody's been cooperative and and given a hundred percent so and it's not easy it's not not at all easy i think one of my personal favorite audio commentary for the time meddler and to get from a, a william hartnell story the producer and the script editor together in the same room to talk about that story was just uh, you know a complete so and a, a total honor it was only a month or two after that that verity lambert died and it was one of the I just couldn't believe it. She was so fresh and vivacious and alive that day. To read that she'd passed away was just awful. The commentaries, they've sort of evolved now, haven't they, into... Although we still get commentaries on the Blu-rays, we also get an extension of the same idea in the behind-the-sofa format, which Simon adores, by the way. <laughs> you had to say it, didn't you, Dan? I, I've kind of gone on record as, uh, you know, yeah, I absolutely adore the Blu-rays, but I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of Behind the Sofa. But, you know, it's personal preference. But what I think is that the two aspects, though, the two the, the two performances, obviously you get some repeating of the same stories, but I think the energy is different, and it seems to promote something different in the participants if they are the same people. I mean, sometimes it's it's down to the passage of time, I suppose, too, or, or the company that they're in, or just being sat somewhere comfy with your mates. 
Well, do you know what? I must admit, I never got the idea of the behind the sofas to begin with, perhaps because I don't watch Gogglebox. Apparently that's a big thing. But getting people sat on the sofa commentating on what they're watching on TV, it's certainly something I wouldn't have thought of. But once once you watch them a few times... And Simon, I would encourage you to to give them a go, especially on season eight. There is some. Oh, very... I watched them all. Right. What, what, why are you shaking your head? <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely watched them all. I really have watched them all. Trust me. Okay. Well, there's always going to be a, a case where some are better than others, and it depends on the story as well. If you're flogging a dead horse on a really mediocre story, um, <coughs> flight, then <laughs> you know you're on a hiding to nothing. By the same token, on a, on a story that's not particularly brilliant people can react to it in, a, in really new and in, in exciting ways so the, the behind the sofas i think have evolved i think people that participate in them um regularly have got more of an idea of what's expected of them not just to sit there going that'll come out well <laughs> with somebody sitting there nodding their head it depends on you know what they can remember or if they've got no connection to what they're watching but have got a you know something that they they like to see yeah. like on season 14 i thought coupling sophie with peter purvis um, I thought that was wonderful watching them both falling in love with Tom Baker's doctor for an entire season. Uh, you know, I thought that was wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, it's horses for courses. And the, the joy is with the, the Blu-rays, there's so much content on there. We can afford to put things on that doesn't that doesn't have to appeal to everybody. If somebody doesn't like watching the behind the sofas, I'm very, very sorry, but there will be other things on on the box sets that... Well, that, that, I think that's my point, really, the fact that, it, that there are different ways of taking in similar or the same information depending on you know just like in in teaching different people have learning styles we all receive information in different ways and and take things on board too so i I was wondering scenes as that seems to have a kinship with the director's commentaries speaking of somebody who's spent a career in vam do you see other similarities as well in other aspects of the of the box sets compared to the DVDs that maybe have more subtleties than the likes of Simon and myself would maybe realise, where ideas grow out of others? Hmm. I mean, I think Russell's Russell's approach is very definitely different to Dan Hall, who was in charge of most of the latter of the hmm. end of the DVDs from about 2007 onwards. And, and Russell's approach seems to be if you can find something that works well on TV, can he adapt it to the Blu-ray? So Gogglebox has become behind the sofa. There was a thing, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was getting four people around a table having a meal. The Doctor's Table on, on yeah. season 23, which is one of the best features yeah. I've ever seen on any Blu-ray. It's beautiful. Indeed, but there's a TV show that does that, which is four random celebrities. Oh, I see. Right, and that's where the idea came from. Season, yeah, 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 yeah. right? I'm not aware of it. No, okay. I, I think Russell, Russell is very, very across what is you know um, hot on TV, and if there's a format that he can be heavily influenced by, he will look at that and say, "Can we translate this into something that'll make the Doctor Who range a lot more accessible to not only the people that were there in the '70s, but maybe the the, the Jodie Whittaker and Peter yeah. Capaldi fans and yeah. Matt Smith fans." So on season eight, for example, um, we've got Sasha Duan and Anjali yeah. Mahindra. They've got no connection to John Pertwee and Roger Delgado and season eight at all. But seeing them watching Doctor Who from 50 years ago, really, really quite interesting. And the things they take from it um, are quite surprising at times. 
one of the features that I absolutely adored on the season 12 box set, and I realised why it wasn't repeated again, but it's a, it was a tragedy, was uh, Doctor Who Times, which was the which was the sort of hour-long feature that that put everything in context and showed you um, what television was going out um, at the time of season 12. And, and as a fan of a certain age, that was just brilliant to watch. And I realised why it wasn't repeated. I'm guessing it was just an absolute nightmare from a point of view of, of logistics and permissions and copyright claims and all that kind of stuff. But it was a magnificent feature, and, and it is a shame that that wasn't uh, that wasn't continued. Yeah, I, I, it was a clearance issue, and it's something that uh, certainly deserved its place on season twelve, and probably you know deserved to be repeated, but logistically financially clearance wise i i think it's just something that be, was untenable going forward certainly from a clearance position things I, without wanting to get into the technicalities things that you'd think would be an absolute doddle to clear sometimes are not and chances are if something isn't on the sets it's not because we've forgotten or we don't want them on there it's it's simply because there are there are issues over clearance. I mean, case in point, on the season twenty three trial of a Time Lord, we had the um, Christmas quiz Tomorrow's World with Colin Baker, and we needed to get Kenny Everett's appearance on that cleared. And it wasn't that we couldn't get it cleared; we just couldn't get a response from Kenny Everett's estate. The people who need to give permission just weren't responding, and we had to have it cleared by a certain point. It wasn't so unfortunately we had to edit all of kenny's contribution out of that which was a real shame because i'm a big fan of kenny everett but the, the reason it was on there was for colin baker and you know his last appearance in costume as the doctor uh, on a bbc program while he was still you know the doctor so there are ways around it but there are always unexpected problems that we, we try and negotiate and if we can find a way around we will but it's not always possible it's absolutely fascinating. I'm a big fan of Kenny Everett as well. I'm just thinking what a shame that is. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just re-watching really, his shows at yeah, the moment. I'm really glad you told me because I, I was really, really intrigued as to why Kenny Everett was missing from that one. So so thank you for clearing my little... Uh, that's uh, another uh, box for me. Yeah, and it's not because we couldn't get it clearance. We just didn't get the clearance in time. Did they eventually reply? If they did, if they didn't, I'm not across that. I'm not in charge of clearances. But even if they did, it was too late. So Yeah. Say, <laughs> When Chris Chapman was on the show last year, he talked very enthusiastically about continuing the range, the, the Blu-ray collection, into New Who, everything from 2005 onwards, the big comeback. He sold us right away. Does this interest you too? Yes, to a certain extent. And plans always change, remember this. But <laughs> yes. I would like to get all of the classic out of the way first. I don't think... It's something that we should be contemplating while we're still working on the classics. Now, that might take five or six years to get all of the classic seasons out of the way. Or we could learn next week that the next box set that we're working on after the next box set that we are working on will be from the New Who range. I, I don't think that the barriers or the obstacles are that, that large there. Um, it certainly remains to be seen what, what there is in terms of the archive. Now, I can recite from memory what exists for classic Doctor Who I can recall you know what stories have got studio recordings or film inserts or 71 edits I haven't got a clue what the archive is on New Who 
and I don't think many people do, to be honest. There's a lot of things down in Cardiff, which quite rightly aren't on the main BBC um, because the film and TV library for the BBC only really concerns itself with transmitted programmes. So studio and rushes and things like that don't usually um, factor into it quite rightly. You know, it's not what the archive is there for. So I think there is certainly material around still at the BBC could be utilised, has been safeguarded. I know Paul Venesis has um, spent a few days down in Cardiff going through archive and making sure that things are have been kept for future use. So I know there are thoughts going on about doing something with the new series, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. But it would be certainly from a logistics exercise, something I'd be very interested in because just to have a complete set of, say, Christopher Eccleston season with all of his Doctor Who confidentials and a good cross-section of all the Blue Peters and TV pro at the time, and all the trailers that were done, all of the commentaries that were recorded, and having access to any behind-the-scenes stuff that I think still exists to make new packages from. And then throwing that together with behind-the-sofas and Doctor's Table, other things that we do on the Blu-rays are equally as applicable to, to the old, to the new series rather. Um, you know, it, it could be a very, very interesting project. And I think it will happen. It will, I'm like, I'd be absolutely gobsmacked if it didn't happen, but I don't think it's going to happen soon. But what do I know? Do you, do, do you think, I mean, Dan and I have talked about this endlessly. Do you think we are going to see black and white seasons come out eventually on Blu-ray? And, and do you think it will wait till the end of the range? I don't, I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot with that. Do you think it's is it a possible question to answer? I don't think it, it's all going to be congested at the end of the range. I don't think. I, may, I, I must be honest. I'm very surprised we haven't had one yet. I'd have thought we'd have had one by now. Because that is a theory. That's a theory that gets passed around in fandom quite a lot. Richard, what Simon's just said. Oh, they're leaving the black and white stuff to the end. I've never really understood. I've never stopped to question it. And this is where I did get my prophecy wrong because I did actually prophesy a black and white season before, uh, I think season 14, I said, I'm sure the next one will be black and white. Um, so I'm surprised as well. But I just wondered whether there was a policy decision to just say, you know, let's just hold on to it purely because of the lack of availability of the material. What do we do with the missing episodes? And if there's a, a definitive answer to that, I'm not across it. So I don't know what the plan is. I really don't can only guess and my guess would be they would be represented in some way shape or form now some of them there are telesnap reconstructions some of them there are animations some of them haven't been touched at all i'd be very surprised if when it comes to a season box set there are there are there are gaps every story will be represented in some way shape or form that does come down to budget because obviously the cost of an animation far outstrips the cost of any other um, production that we do for the box sets. I mean, they, they are very expensive um, things to, to put together and very, very time consuming. It takes, you know, a long, 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 long time to put an animation together. Really seriously long time, a lot of work, a lot of effort. And, um, you know, the, the people that do them, I'm not involved in the animations at all, but the people that do them, I know, invest a huge amount of time and love and effort on, on, on producing them and you know they're successful again in their own right i know there, there were issues with the quality of the audios i think anything prior to dalek invasion of earth we didn't have good audio masters to to or audio sources to go to go back to 
that might have changed. I need to talk to Mark Ayres, but I think we've got better audios from other collections um, than we did once have. Um, whether everything um, is as good as it can be, still don't know. Is there one specific season that you you personally are re- either really looking forward to or just would love, you know, if there could only be one more Doctor Who season classic to come out and it was your choice, what would it be? Lord, oh dear, I don't know. I really don't know. Every season that I work on, the first one I was involved in was season 23 and my initial thought was, mm, nice place to start. <laughs> and the more I sat down and, and watched all of the stuff as it was coming in, especially watching the remastered episodes. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm starting to get into this a little bit. I was really enjoying it. And then watching um, a lot of the studio tapes for the first time, uh, I was involved in getting a lot of that transferred. So we could have those nice packages that I know Simon likes so much of, um, you know, all the, the studio, all the OB stuff. And we're going to do a lot, lot more of that in, in, in future where we can. Watching all that was great. And then the, the box set after that was... 26 uh, and again watching all those come through I was like this you know this is quite entertaining and again I was watching all of the the studio stuff because I had to sign all that up and there was about three hours of ghost light and about two hours maybe three hours of battlefield and I just was swept away just watching all the studio shenanigans it, it was it, it, it wasn't a chore to sit through that it really wasn't but to answer your question I've been stalling for time here, can you tell? What do you think about it? Well, I think about it. And I'm still struggling. I mean, I do love season 13. I was just at the right age for that. And so to complete the Philip Hinchcliffe's on Blu-ray, I think if push came to shove, I'd have to go for that. I think I would probably agree with you on that one, actually, Richard. I think that's an excellent choice, and that will probably be mine I've been thinking about history, about TV history, and, uh, and the appreciation of TV and back to 2013 and you talk about the anniversary earlier on and how an adventure in space and time was the last drama to be filmed at television center wasn't it to use that as a as a location and then history you know, it fell into history and now we have a, you know, the building is still there and whatever else that time the, the the curtain is now fallen on that part of TV history and I was just thinking about the blu-ray sets and about this journey that we're on, hoping, hoping, we all hope we get to the end of this. What would it say? What sort of statement would it make about Doctor Who, about its place as a, as a fandom, as an entity or whatever else, if the last of these Blu-ray sets came out in, the say, the very month that the very last factory announces that they're stopping making Blu-rays? <laughs> and, and Doctor Who is the final word in television on physical media. Now, that would be quite a sad day. Another curtain would fall. But in some respects, gentlemen, I think it seems only right. Poetically correct. It would be ironic. I mean, all of our stuff comes from Italy, which is another... We go back to release dates. Once the Blu-rays, uh, the test discs are signed off, the production goes to Italy, all sorts of COVID factors then come into play. Are they, are they full production in the factory? Um, can they hit the deliveries? Can you know the, the actual logistics of getting the product back over to the UK? And I know fans will moan like really? crazy if, if they have to wait an extra week for their Blu-rays. But there are so many factors beyond usual mechanisms of control. Um, I, I would just urge people just to be a little bit more patient um, because they will get it. It will come out. 
it just might be a week or two longer because of the sad reality of life at the moment in 2021 and lockdown and covid and i hesitate to ask but are you still in production now on the next season after season eight or has it all gone into lockdown again now are you are you still able to inch forwards or is it just gone into complete close down uh, things have been made simon things have been made he's doing that with a nod and a wink so so we'll we can read what we want to into that fair enough there is a methodology methodology that i think we can apply and hopefully with the advent of the vaccines and when we come out of winter we'll be on a downturn anyway so hopefully by the summer it won't be a, a, a false things are back to normal we should be getting there we've just got to weather the storm over the next few months so whatever gets you through it out there if it's sitting down and spending a day watching a doctor who blu-ray or watching a film or watching something that just makes you have a smile on your face and gets you through the day it's worth it and if if anything that we do on the blu-ray range makes somebody have a bit of a chuckle and a better day than they were having makes it worthwhile i think that's a great note to end it on yes doctor who the collection the blu-ray collection is officially back they're up and running and uh, season eight is still just about available to pre-order if you've not already done so i would pull the trigger on that as soon as you've finished listening to this show just like richard said they do sell out very very quickly we're bound to be reviewing it on a future type 40 simon i'm really looking forward to it even more so after our talk here with richard and about the broader context of of the sets how all this information this value-added material makes its way into our blu-ray players and before our, our very eyes thanks for joining us again here richard and please send our best wishes for continued success to everybody who works so hard on the on the blu-ray so painstakingly and yeah making our lockdown days that bit brighter now brigadier what about this doctor i gather he's not a british subject well then who is he and where does he come from Do you realise how long I've been confined to one planet? Before I was stranded on Earth, I spent all my time seeking the wonders of the universe. An old acquaintance has arrived on this planet. One of our people. I am usually referred to as the Master. Now this is Miss Hawthorne, a prominent local resident. When Beltane is come, tread softly, for lo, the Prince himself is nigh. Uh, the Prince? Prince of Evil, the Dark One, the Horned Beast. I'll go make the coffee. The people I represent, Mr. Farrell, can never have too much plastic. <laughs> oh, hello. Josephine Grant. I'm your newest sister. I'm a fully qualified agent, you know. You're right. It's my ankle. Cryptology, safe breaking, <laughs> explosives. You don't seriously think you'll get that thing working again? Why not step inside and see for yourself? It's bigger inside than out. That's because the TARDIS is dimensionally transcendental. It means that it's bigger inside than out. Doctor, all that talk of yours about travelling in time and space, it was true. Well, of course it was true. It was all quite different when we left back in 71. You left in 1971? No, 2471. Humans are watching us. Go away! Go away! Quiet! Stand by. Welcome back, viewers. Here at the Devil's Hump, the excitement is intense. The stage 
is set. UFO entering atmosphere now. This ship was not built, it was grown. And now its nutrient is all but exhausted. We would like to stay. In return, according to your custom, a payment. Axonite must have it. What is a nesting? A nesting is a ruthlessly aggressive, intelligent alien life form. At least we should be ready for them this time. Too late, Captain. They're here already. Death is always more frightening when it strikes invisible. Reverse it. Reverse what? Reverse the polarity. I am your master. Bring it in on that French steward of Europe. I could believe I would. Look at all those planetary systems, Doctor. We could rule them all. But you don't know what's out there. Then let's find out. There we are. It seems that time is running out in more ways than one. If you mend the TARDIS, we can both escape. Both. <laughs> Until then, we either escape together, for me, or we die together. It's goodbye now. He's only going to have done it again, Simon. What an insightful conversation that was with Richard there. Richard's always got lots to say, hasn't he? It's fantastic. The stuff that Richard comes out with, the stuff that Richard knows, as you said at the beginning of this, his legacy goes back so many years through so many different yeah. media within Doctor Who, not not just visual media, but written media as well. Um, yeah, he, he is up there. He's a fount of all knowledge. It's always a pleasure to chat to him. And I don't know about you, Dan, but he, he just comes across as such a cool guy. He's a cool dude, is our Richard, isn't he? I think he's very between us he's very measured about what he says and how he says it and I can completely understand why because you know this is under a lot of scrutiny from fans like us who hang on every word who watch every release date every press release and scour the listings of of what's going to be on these releases and that's always been the case right since Doctor Who first appeared on home media I consider this sort of volume one of a conversation that really could go on and on and on and on Richard's done so many things and of course when when we talk too you think about home media and Doctor Who's history with it for a long long time the best part of one and a half decades that was sort of all we had wasn't it that's what we clung on to and Doctor Who became sort of a part work on VHS and then on DVD when I look back across my time as a fan it's been as much about the time where Doctor Who wasn't in production as when it was a lot of my nostalgia is tied to these official releases I think that's true. I know that sometimes people complain about doing the double dip, the triple dip. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. As long as we're constantly being given a new and improved product out there, technology is improving all the time. New ways of doing things are, are being found all the time. Doctor Who, we, we've said this before, but as Doctor Who fans, we are so lucky that there is a a group of people out there who who really love the show as much as we do and want to to do these releases to the highest possible standard and we really are spoiled with this stuff that we keep constantly being fed and so i'm just eternally grateful that they're still doing this and we're still getting this amazing content coming back to us because genuinely there's there's never been a luckier genre fan out there than the Doctor Who fan and how well we're served by these home media releases. No, And yeah, the release dates may well be in flux as the world cranks back into life, something approaching normal again, then in time the Blu-ray range will be uh, yeah, firing on all thrusters 
two. Uh, we can't thank you enough, Richard, for your time. And, yeah, we look forward to more discussions about home media. Let us know what you think. Get in touch. Let us know your memories about the VHS range, the DVD range, or indeed your questions about the Blu-ray range. Maybe we could put them to Richard or somebody else involved in the team that puts them together. Who knows what the future holds? Who knows which release will be next? And who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'll have to go and get another bookcase from Ikea after all. All it sounds like I may if the new series stuff joins it. For now, though, that's the that's the time rotor whirling away, calling time on another Type 40. We'll be back with another edition soon enough. Look out for that wherever you found this. Could have been on the brand new Type 40 podcast feed hosted at type40.podbean.com by popular demand. Our very own feed now we're even easier to find. You can search and find us on Apple Podcasts, though, or iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or Spotify. And don't forget, over on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform, we're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's incredible master feed. Of course we are, with all those other wonderful shows. As ever, you can get in touch through our social medias, Instagram and Twitter at Type40DoctorWho, or email us Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really brave and fancy some real-time, extra-dimensional chit-chat, step into the Type40 Facebook group. Simon, remind everybody, what are your points from Galactic Centre again? They can always come and find me on Facebook. Uh, if you look up Doctor Who, the Hoonatics, and that's spelt W-H-O-N-A-T-I-C-S, come and find me on there. Come and join the group. We're getting a lot of people actually coming and joining the Hoonatics as a, as a result of listening to these podcasts, so which is welcome aboard all of you folks, um, and more and more and more. Keep coming and finding us. <laughs> and you can find me scattered across all of space and time, but mostly on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook. I'm rambling and posting about whatever catches my eye, my imagination, or both in popular culture, inside and outside of the TARDIS. There's links to all of that in our show notes. We always have the time. If you have the space here on Type 40, thanks again for listening. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. A Doctor Who podcast is a Spacebook production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.